This episode of Agency Deal Masters is brought to you by Account Insight, the B2B programmatic advertising platform for B2B agencies. Account Insight helps you deliver targeted, tailored ads to high value companies because today's B2B buyer decides digitally and in teams of up to 40 people. Account Insight helps you solve the problem of marketing to whole accounts, not just to one person. That's why smarter B2B marketers use account-based advertising. Founded by former WPP executives with extensive experience building and delivering B2B solutions, several friends of the show and leading B2B agencies use Account Insight to deliver targeted ads. You can find out more at accountinsight.ai. This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. His name is Raphael Apostoliti, and he is the president and CEO of Expandi Group, only one of the biggest and most respected B2B agencies in the world. Just think of the biggest technology brands around today, and chances are Expandi Group have have them as clients. Um, Where do I even begin with this conversation? It's just a masterclass in all things B2B marketing. He started out working in IT consultancy with HP in the 90s, and has then gone on to build Expandi Group into one of the biggest and best B2B agencies around today. He talks about how their services have evolved as technology started eating the world uh, and clients started asking more about data and measurability and ROI. We discuss what clients are asking for today, how they're investing in their own technology significantly by building their own analytics platform to make better use of clients' marketing budgets, we talk about the next stage in, in their growth. His energy and vision for the future of technology and B2B marketing is absolutely fascinating, just really energizing. He says, quote, B2B marketing needs to be delivered by data and analytics. Every agency has to introduce data and analytics into their offering. So we go really deep into uh, the future of, of data for creative businesses, uh, brand building. We talk about so much so much of that. If you're interested in anything to do with B2B marketing, then this is just a masterclass and an absolute must listen to conversation. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Raphael Apostoliti. Raphael Apostolito is the president and CEO at Expandi Group, a leading global B2B marketing agency serving many of the top B2B brands around the world, including IBM, HP, Lenovo, and Google, just to name a few. They employ over 400 staff in marketing and operations and have a mission to grow their clients' business by building data-driven, performance-led, and sales-orientated marketing programs. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Raphael Apostolito, welcome to Agency Deal Masters. Thanks very much, Nathan, to invite me. And it's a real pleasure to join you in this conversation. Excellent. I'm really excited as well. You've got a really interesting and fascinating and unusual background, actually, for someone in the agency world. So you worked for HP for about five years in IT in the, in the late 90s. And this was really sort of the early days of e-commerce. Tell us how you got your start in the world of B2B marketing. 
Yeah, well, all the age. Uh, when I was hired by HP in 95, it was HP Europe. Uh, I was asking from the beginning to be in marketing, but finally I was assigned to financial controller of uh, the European Marketing Saint because of my previous experience in this field. Uh, however, after just a few months, I totally realized that my future was in marketing and especially in B2B. So I asked to move from finance to marketing. And I think it was really the beginning of a, a great period for B2B marketing. And I think that still the best should come. Help to, to be there for taking advantage of the next development of B2B marketing, because I think it's really a bright future. So let's talk about how you set up Expandy Group, because fascinating agency. I've heard about Expandy Group for several years. It's, um, it's one of those agencies that keeps coming up in conversations when the largest, most successful B2B agencies are discussed. You got a really big break in the early days when HP became your, your first client. And as you know, getting the first client for any agency is normally the hardest thing to do in any startup. How did you win them in the first days and, and what did they outsource to you in the early days? Yeah, so first of all, I fully agree. I mean, much more than capital, um, let's say ideas and first client are the two most important topics for any startup, regardless of where, which business you are. Right. Uh, so I was very lucky because uh, first of all, capital at the time, year 2000, was very easy to get it, like by the way, right now. Uh, but the most important things was to get the first client and I had a conversation with HP in which they had a very interesting uh, incubation program uh, incentivizing people uh, to launch uh, startups, uh, but to work with HP. So at the time we had the process of incubation that is typical of the Silicon Valley. And uh, at the time they agreed to outsource to me most of the things I was doing there. And what I was doing basically was um, uh, supporting the e-commerce platforms that we were developing at the time. It was one of the first e-commerce sites existing in 97 and uh, creating a lot of traffic generation for them. So basically I was uh, a major spender of um, digital uh, marketing for Europe. And that piece of work basically was transferred to the agency when I moved in uh, in the company. So that was for sure a, a great combination for development. And, and you were also one of the early pioneers of performance marketing. Uh, in the early 2000s, um, I guess clients wanted to didn't want to pay for eyeballs. They wanted to pay for sales. That's very similar to the environment they were operating in right now. Yes, definitely. The first company, by the way, is still existing, but it was not expanded. It changed after a while, but it was net partnering. And the reason of net partnering was exactly because uh, uh, what we believed from the beginning was that uh, there should have been a, a strong alliance between the, the company, the client, the agency, and the media. So we were looking for a paper action type of deal. Uh, so we were engaging most of the largest portals at the time existing. Some of them, unfortunately, disappeared now. Uh, and what we were uh, striking were deals that were a paper lead, paper action, paper click in the worst case. Uh, and that was really something innovative. There was already existing B2C, but it was uh, probably the first time in B2B. So that was uh, uh, how we started. And the main value proposition was really ROI marketing, how to make the best out of your money. And pretty worked pretty well. Just to give an idea, at the time we were paying per action and pay per click. But uh, if you bring back at c- cost per thousand CPM, we were buying at one dollar per CPM, 
while at the time you were buying between ten dollars to forty dollars depends on the premium placement and the premium websites so it, mm. it was several tens less than what global uh, media booking agencies were was doing at the time so there was a strong value proposition at the time <laughs> to do it and i think that is still today the paper action should be the key direction for b2b marketing so so that leads us on to talking about expandy group in, in a bit more detail so for those that aren't familiar with the agency maybe let's talk about what are the most significant milestones or significant moments in the company's history that has sort of got you to where you are today maybe talk about what life was like in the early years and then what were the most significant milestones you took to arrive at where we are today in in, in 2021 yeah so first of all i think that for any uh, agency that started uh, and have a 20 years life like us it's clear that we did a long journey uh, between the what was the company at the beginning what uh, we are today uh, when we launched clearly like i was saying the key focus was on uh, uh, performance marketing and why how to make measurable uh, marketing and performance uh, and we were across all industries as far as they were b2b uh, then uh, one year later there was unfortunately the collapse of internet and the bubble exploded that i think was probably in the long term a good uh, situation because i think it was not sustainable uh, at the time basically we moved from being 100 a digital agency into a normally channel agency so we found that we could not grow as we expected by just doing digital so we needed to combine digital with any of the traditional um, uh, tactics so a bricks and mortar type of business so what we did is more to build a value proposition around omnichannel of which digital of course was one of the key channels but still not the only one mm. at the time what we have done it just to to feel more competitive with a key differentiator was to focus only on the it sector so today 95 percent of our clients are still in the it sector and we work basically with most of the global IT vendors today and I think one of the key value propositions is also to know very well the the industry, the challenges, the trends and the customer pains of this industry that is quite fascinating. Hmm, really fascinating. So, so when we were talking in the pre-interview, you mentioned that obviously the agency started off as digital and then you went sort of omni-channel and then you went on this sort of rapid global expansion, partly because of the demand from existing clients I'm led to understand when thinking about international expansion or the expansion of your services or your service offering what factors go into making that decision yeah so, so here there is for sure probably an advice to give to anyone that is coming in this agency world of course there are a lot of pressure to become global or to become international I mean the biggest pressure normally is clients uh, hmm. then uh, secondly Often, if you are funded by venture capitalists and private equity, they love you to be global, at, at least international and possibly global. I think that in our case, we had enough uh, cash and we didn't have any fundraising, but um, so we didn't have the financial pressure. However, it's true that we followed the clients and they would say we followed too much the clients. So <laughs> when going back to your question, I think that uh, normally you expand your services or you expand your countries based on two criteria either is tactical factors and when i say tactical opportunistic is really when you follow the clients or the opportunities 
traditionally, I would say that all the times that we have been doing so, we didn't maybe not the right things. That's to say, I think that uh, an agency needs to evolve their services and their geographical um, markets based on strategic factors. That's to say, uh, how I bring most of my value, how I can differentiate myself, uh, not necessarily just because a client is asking me to do something differently, uh, you just do it. I mean, and, I think most of the agencies have the tendency to do it. And that I think in the long term, maybe so most of the time to be wrong because you need to be focused on clearly on what uh, are the things that you are really the best of and just get sure that you do it. <laughs> so that's mm. Uh, mm. really interesting. So, so just on that, then before we move on to on the B2B marketing more, more specifically, how when you realized that you had overstretched yourself and you were sort of spreading yourselves too thinly what was the process then of scaling back to where you are today um how does that sort of happen internally what sort of conversations are had i imagine it's a little bit humbling also to go through that experience how do you then scale back operations to operate in the way that you are operating today yeah for, for sure it's probably more complicated to scale down and to scale up internationally <laughs> <laughs> so we had a uh, three years in which we move from five, six countries and five, six offices. I mean, uh, we were always serving uh, tens of markets, but uh, we had the six offices in, in Europe. We moved from six offices to 30 offices in the world. So we cover wow. 30 different geographical markets. So basically we're almost in any um, big or medium sized market in the world. Uh, and that, uh, was an amazing challenge, but in three years to do it. So we were always traveling, me and all my management. Uh, however, for sure, you get more excited, you follow the clients and uh, uh, you don't notice the efforts and the time you spend in it. After these three years and a few um, areas in which we understand that it was not sustainable, mainly to f- it's very difficult to standardize these processes and having the same quality of of services when you are managing uh, three or four markets in South America, three or four markets in Africa, sure. uh, seven, eight in Asia, and at least Western Europe and North America in Japan were a little bit similar in type of maturity. But uh, then we realized that it was uh, complicated. We, did, we were not able to ensure to our clients the same level of services, and we decided it was better to do deeper work in some areas or so going back to the concept of being focused instead of being so wide and so large so we have done it at the time that we decided as a management to scale down we did everything i mean we have uh, sold a lot of entities uh, to joint venture partners uh, to management in that countries sometimes we close down the full operations so, uh, sometimes we transfer people to another agency mm. so we had uh, 20 different shoot down and each of them mm-hmm. have a, a different history. But yeah, ultimately it was either to sell uh, to management or to a joint venture partner or to transfer assets. We, we try not to have a significant discontinuity in people because people is a key asset of an agency and uh, you will try to preserve all the time um, those resources that has been with you for years. So we have always tried to to keep them in one way or another, in the worst case, by transfer the, the, the people in another agency working with the client. Hmm. Let's talk a little bit about B2B marketing. So as you look at the landscape for B2B marketing today, what have been the most significant changes that you've seen over the last few years? And how do you feel that B2B marketing will evolve over the next, let's say, five to 10 years? 
I think that uh, most of the trends that we've seen in the previous, in the last three, four years are the, the biggest trends for the future, at least for the next five to 10. And then <laughs> it's difficult to go too far in B2B marketing. But uh, I think that there is uh, for sure an amazing trend of increase, like big data increasing, also content is increasing because of course you need uh, uh, most of the marketing is now digital and social. Uh, so in order to feed uh, digital and social channels, you needed to have uh, basically producing content almost every day. Sure. Uh, and uh, that is a huge effort. So even the largest corporation we are working with, uh, they may struggle from time to time to have uh, such a level of death. Uh, and also, by the way, countries coverage again, localization in so many markets. Uh, so content development is a, a huge area of opportunities for agencies uh, the second one is that the one that we're more invested in the last few years and that we will be investing even more in the next years is everything around data analytics and platforms uh, that of course is evolving in the glamour area of machine learning artificial intelligence uh, i think that there for sure there is a huge uh, development and uh, well just at the early early stage of this development but uh, Almost no ROI marketing can be done without having this type of infrastructure. Uh, and then the, um, this will bring as well, like it was the beginning of the conversation, to increase level of requests from clients to share some part of the fees with their success. So basically to link uh, fees of the agency to their KPIs. And that I think makes a lot of sense. Like we did in year 2000 and maybe we were there too early in the, in the maturity of the market, but uh, at least the concept was there. The more years will go from now onwards, the more the agents, the clients will ask for this one. Uh, and the, probably the last trend that I see, I mean, the information technology is pretty clear, but I think it will be extending to the other sectors is that uh, companies will outsource more and more their marketing and their people. So they don't, they will not keep uh, as many people in marketing uh, as they have today for two main reasons. One is financial reasons to keep more f variable cost than fixed cost, but even more because the level of speed that B2B marketing is taking right now in terms of evolution of media, evolution of data and platforms, etc., is very difficult to keep uh, ourselves updated in a company and uh, only agencies can guarantee you that level of uh, being always state of the art and so i think that more and more people will keep very limited number of marketing people to coordinate agencies but ultimately there will be much more outsourcing so that's quite interesting so you say content data analytics uh linking fees with success and sort of at the outsourcing of marketing so based on all of that how is expandy group positioned to take advantage of these changes I know that you've also recently invested in an analytics platform. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, so, so it was, I mean, we did it in parallel. So in 2015, it was the time in which we moved from the 30 offices into eight, nine offices in Europe and Middle East. And at the time, like we said, we said to reinvest, as, I mean, at global level, we were doing still some money outside the Europe. So we reinvested what we get it from selling companies or to disinvest in some of those areas into data and platforms. So we had a already very sophisticated platform since, since 2004. I mean, we have been 
one of the early adopters of Salesforce.com, uh, and we have developed a lot of different uh, platforms uh, outside, linked or inside Salesforce, uh, and we have created a software stack that is totally inc uh, inclusive. I mean, we have uh, basically everything from uh, CRM, PRM, social listening, marketing automation, telemarketing, uh, profiling, and scripts, uh, everything is uh, inside uh, the same software stack in order to, mm. to score any customer touch points and trying to give a proper evaluation and what is called attribution to each uh, um, tactics that we do in generate leads. Uh, so all this investment in technology, and then we bought a lot of data from uh, multiple providers, uh, people that were giving us uh, intent data, brand data, filmographics, financial data, etc. And uh, we pull all together and now we're developing our own platform as well to create our own intent data, our own brand data. So we have a mix of primary data owned by us and also aggregation of data from other sources in order to provide a fully comprehensive view to our clients when we execute campaigns. And because of that, basically, the clients is naturally asking us, okay, if you think that you are so strong with customer data and with your analytics, with your predictive analytics, etc., then why not <laughs> sharing, uh, having a, a joint agreed KPI and somehow agree uh, some part of your fees to the uh, KPI hmm. achievement. So th that is totally logical. And I think that to share the same KPI makes you on the same boat of the client uh, make you also perceived by the client in a different way. You are not mm -hmm. just a, a supplier, you are a partner, a partner. And, and they work in a different basis with you. That is exactly what we wanted. Hmm. Smart, smart clients. So where has that been driven from? The investments that you've recently talked about, has that been driven from the client asking for a more joined up customer experience? I mean, we know that there are all of these different touch points, we know that the buying cycle in B2B can be very long, multiple decision makers, very senior decision makers over a long period of time. We're talking very high values, high high um, average deal sizes. Has all of this investment come about because of the greater need to get a better idea or a unified idea of the customer experience? Yeah, so, so I mean, the ultimate, uh, what we heard from the beginning of our uh, company was always we want a better ROI <laughs> and we want to have a, a clear ROI. So data was always from uh, year 2000, the, 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 the typical briefing of our clients. Uh, most of our clients are much less on the awareness side. They are much more on the conversion side. <laughs> um, so basically, uh, what we've done it is not because the client have asked all the technology and the data behind, but it was the right mean to achieve what they were asking for. So I'm not sure that the client sometimes knows exactly what they need, but it was they tell you is the ultimate uh, deliverable they expect, say lead, qualified, more qualified, less qualified, but an opportunity. And, and that they want you to be more and more accountable for that lead. So then how you reach that type of deliverable is you that you need to build your journey and decide what is the best way to deliver that promise. And we thought that the best way is to build a quite unique software stack and data and analytics for it. That can be other agencies that can think that, for example, by building the most creative work and the most rich content, etc., they can 
achieve the same objective. So it's uh, <laughs> the, the, the world of the agency is uh, quite heterogeneous also because each of us have a different <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. thinking about how to achieve the goal. So, so this is really interesting then. So this leads me on to the conversation between sort of, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, the client is more interested in the data side than the awareness side. What's more important in B2B? Is it the big creative idea or is it data and analytics? I mean, it's a conversation that has been roaring <laughs> it's, it's for forever, especially in B2C, right? But increasingly more and more in B2C. Who's more important, the big creative idea and the creative director or the data scientist? Yeah, so, so of course, both of them, and they play an essential role on it. But uh, I mean, we are coming from the other world, so it's more the world of the data analytics and platforms. So I would say, I would tend to prevail to say more this one, but I think that it depends very much also on the customer that you are planning to reach in the sense that uh, if uh, your main target is uh, the SMB or, or or the mid-market or even the low end of the enterprise tail, so low end of the enterprise normally we mean companies between 1,000 and 5,000 employees so not the big uh, the fortune 1,000 type of companies then probably the data and the analytics uh, are uh, more relevant so to address the right person the right time with the right offer etc you need a lot of analytics um, when it is uh, what probably is called right now IBM one-to-one uh, and really to address only specific few tens of accounts, uh, so basically the Fortune 1000, and um, you need to be very granular on uh, each persona that you are addressing with what type of call messages and content, very much personalized content, then probably you need absolutely to be creative and to have a lot of content. <laughs> to deliver technology becomes a little bit less important because uh, you are basically doing a very granular job with few people, even if you're multiplying this by X number of buyers, potential buyers, but inside the company. But still, you can uh, still use technology, but for sure content and creative work is uh, needs to play a major role, a more important role. So you talk about ABM. Describe what ABM means to Expandy Group and, and share an example of how you deliver ABM campaigns to clients. Yeah, so, so uh, for sure we do it uh, different than a lot of IBM consulting companies, let's say. Um, so I, I have opportunities, of course, to discuss it with peers uh, in this uh, world. And uh, IBM, of course, is one of the hottest topics uh, um, there. And I think that uh, here depends very much on the DNA, DNA of your company. Sometimes also what the client is asking for. They say, uh, we, for example, we do some one-to-one uh, ABM, so going to reach this uh, Fortune 1000 uh, type of companies, but this is not our key focus uh, for the reason that I was just explaining before, uh, because there you need much more, uh, uh, let's say, tens of creative people and content developers is not our DNA. So we do it. Um, we have some sectors in which we know more than other sectors. By the way, you need to have a strong knowledge of each individual sector. So the, the insurance will be totally different than professional services than banking. Mm-hmm. Um, so here is uh, is for us more complicated. We do it uh, because, of course, our clients, going back to the previous discussion, when we do the other type of IBM, one to few and one to many, they ask us sometimes to call also the one to one. 
but uh, what we do mostly is uh, when we have to address hundreds or thousands of accounts, so what would be typically called ABM, one to few or one to many. Uh, and in those cases where we spend most of our time is for sure to uh, identify through the filmographics, the intent data, the brand data, even with the financial performance of the companies, which is the right messages we need to give to the right person at the right time in the right offering. And so we spend a lot of time to make what I would call probably smart targeting and to use all the power of analytics to make sure that we have the right person in front of us because uh, you can still reach them digitally. This community can still reach them by phone with more difficulty, uh, but you need to be very much clear on what you are going to talk to these specific persons. So it needs to be very personalized. A typical example uh, is emailing. I mean, uh, a lot of people think that email doesn't work. We are a major fan of emails, but the emails needs to be highly personalized and highly relevant to the audience. So we have a very high open rate and click-through rate, uh, but because we are not uh, doing uh, mass communication. So we are addressing people that have already expressed their interest in a specific in, uh, topics. that can be security, can be cloud, can be other areas, but at least we know already his interest in that area and you do a personalized communication for them. Uh, and only in these cases, media works well. I mean, and they are even paid media. I mean, of course, we prefer to do more uh, social media, not paid, but also paid media, you can be much more targeted uh, as far as you have a good analytics behind you, not to waste money. I mean, to make an ABM model in which you are trying to address thousands of accounts without having done uh, some good analytics is a waste of money. So you really need to to go very much targeted and make sure that you have spent a lot of, done a lot of homework before uh, deciding which is the right media to address, to address those accounts. And this is where we spend most of our time. But there will be other agencies spending a lot of time then to, to create more relevant content for them. So it's, uh, it's two ways to address the same point. It is uh, to be relevant. I think that ultimately this is the most important point. So how do you think about how to serve seamless digital experiences in B2B specifically and which tactics seem to work better? Yeah, uh, one of the things that we always say when we say omnichannel or integrated marketing, integrated uh, sales uh, go-to-market approach uh, is that uh, there is not one channel, regardless if it is sales or marketing, that works uh, in standalone. I mean, I think that... uh, um ultimately i would not recommend anyone to make one only telemarketing campaign or only an emailing campaign or only a paid media campaign uh, each of them uh, get a better amplification more power to reach results if they are combined with the others we tend at least to combine uh, in let's say 80% of the campaigns we do we do, uh, like I was saying before, emailing once that we know which is the relevant people. And for the reason that I was explaining before, we do uh, targeted paid media. So just media addressing only a set of companies that we have defined it that are for sure on target. Uh, we do a lot of uh, social selling. So through LinkedIn Sales Navigator and other tools, 
to try to get connection socially with uh, the targeted audience. Uh, and then ultimately, there is nothing to do. You need some human touch and you need some outbound call at the end of the process. Uh, one of the areas in which I've been more disputing myself uh, in a positive way, arguing would be the right <laughs> wording with other agencies or with our clients is that you can do the best digital campaigns in the world, but you will never get it a qualified lead or qualified opportunity without a human touch at mm-hmm. the end of the process. Uh, and uh, this is something that, unfortunately, there is a lot of literature uh, that says the opposite, that you can get it uh, um, a lot of... Uh, you can almost sell online without having any human being. And, sure. and, and there are a lot of people that will say that in the future, chatbots may, may be selling by themselves. Sure, sure. Uh, but, but this is not the case. I mean, no, nothing can replace a final human touch at the end of the chain. So we spend at least one third of our time to be out in outbound call and uh, trying to convert what is a marketing qualified leads through digital and social channels into a human qualified lead that basically means also a sales qualified lead. So that's uh, really fascinating. So the main thing that I'm taking away from this conversation is that email still works and telesales still works. And I'm speaking to a, um, a, a, a data and analytics agency. Really, really fascinating insights there. But um, uh, to your point, it, it takes an integrated approach. But that leads me on to the next question, actually, because you said something really interesting in the pre-interview. You said most of the digital transformation that's happening right now is happening in B2C. There's nothing in B2B that you can easily buy on the internet. B2B has yet to be digitally disrupted. So if you're saying that we we need human touch at some point in the decision-making process, how could we have a, a B2B buying decision that is completely 100% digital? Uh, okay, you haven't... You connect to topics that are very important. Uh, yeah, <laughs> one of the reasons why um, I was saying from the beginning that the future of B2B is bright and uh, there is uh, much more to come than what we have lived in the last 20 years is because I think that the B2B markets has not been disrupted yet uh, from a sales and marketing point of view, even in terms of business model, in terms of go-to-market strategy, etc. So people have been adapting their processes and optimize their process with digital and social, but this is not means if you go in any literature, this is not uh, being disruptive or uh, having done a, a real digital transformation. The digital transformation took place partially in B2B, only in the IT sector. When uh, I was a commerce manager of HP in 97, we were under a significant stress of Dell selling hardware online. Um, PC, server, printers, and other products. Uh, and that was a major shock for any IT hardware vendor. So uh, there was a huge reaction from HP and from other vendors uh, to, uh, to make a digital transformation to, to compete against that. So IT sector in B2B has been partially disrupted. Uh, Probably there is still a journey to be done, while uh, most of the other sectors, uh, banking, insurance, uh, automotive, professional services, etc., there is 90% of the journey still to be done. Um, we are already starting uh, to, to invest. I mean, we're already investigating. We're operational right now also in the insurance uh, sector because the insurance is probably the most... Uh, <laughs> 
one of the oldest industry on the world, but also the one of the most conservative ones, highly regulated. Mm. Uh, and uh, and there is a lot of opportunity there to change the go-to-market strategy, the digital and the sales, the digital marketing can be much more stronger and sales done remotely. But remotely doesn't mean that you, it means still that you need a human touch in B2B. I mean, B2C, as you know, you buy policy of insurance every single day on the internet. But in B2B, most of the transaction can take with uh, digital facilitated, digital enabled, still with someone on the phone. Uh, but you don't need uh, the field sales people going and asking you to sign. Most of the countries, for example, are still signing the contracts that you do in insurance policy by using a hard copy and, <laughs> and pen, and etc. So fortunately, COVID, fortunately, I mean, it's not fortunate, but let's say COVID have significantly accelerated in some trends in digitalization and digital transformation. So I see some industries that are starting to think their full process of go to market because of the digital world that now they need to do because of the remote distance. Uh, but it's really a def. I mean, they are what the IT sector was 20 years ago, basically. So it's, uh, I'm not sure that my, my professional career will see the end of this uh, digital transformation mm. of the other sectors, but uh, whoever will be in B2B in the next 20 years, they will see a major transformation. And just the things that maybe all of us can experience is a digital transformation in the legal services. Lawyers mm. are ex- extremely expensive. There are already some good uh, practice online to make B2B um, legal advice, HR advice, etc. But I mean, they, they probably represent 0.5% of the total revenues of the legal services. These type of things that, of course, are protected by the, some regulations, I think will have a huge development in the years to come. And, uh, the same is banking, the same is automotive. Mm. And a lot of other industries. But B2C has been always the first driver of change. So mm. uh, in insurance, B2C is very much disrupted. <laughs> uh, banking, of course, significantly. And automotive, they started to become more and more online, digitally enabled. But mm. B2C, not B2B. That's uh, Really fascinating. I, I thought for a moment you were going to say lawyers are ex- extinct, uh, <laughs> but you, but you, but you said expensive, um, which is which is uh, which is true. Final question before we get on to our favorite questions that we ask all of our guests at the end of the interview. Um, as you reflect on your success of Expandy Group over the last few years, what things, when building the business, were you not very good at at the start that you ultimately became good at now like what are the biggest growth areas for you personally and what are the main metrics that you're using to evaluate the sort of the success of expandy group um what are the one or two metrics that you're always looking at to say yes we're on course and we're going in the right direction uh, good question so, um, i mean uh, in my side i mean of course i'm quite uh, someone that is extrovert i like to communicate, to engage with clients, to be more on the consulting side. So probably the, the single things that I learned by running an agency is that you can be the best in advising, uh, the best consultant, etc. But then you need operations to follow and services to follow. So um, I spent much more time than I was expecting at the beginning of my 
uh, agency life uh, to make sure that operational services are behind the factory is basically producing the right services is one of the main reasons why, by the way, we decided to move from 30 offices to 10 offices is that uh, it's very important that regardless of what you promise, you then have the infrastructure to deliver to 100% of the uh, KPI. Uh, and it basically means that you need, first of all, to invest in very talented people to manage your operational services. And on this side, we've been lucky uh, now. Uh, and secondly, that you probably, as a CEO, you still need to put some eyes on it, uh, even if probably is not my uh, preferred time because I like more to be outbound. But uh, I think that you need a CEO of a marketing agency to make sure that you understand in full all the implications of what you are promising to clients as well, because sometimes we tend otherwise to oversell. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, what uh, what are the KPI? I mean, ultimately what we are looking at are three things. Uh, one is customer satisfaction. The second, of course, is profitability. And the third one, it is the things that I think we need to do to do better, all the agencies, is to look how much you are reaching your objectives in the long term. That's to say, what I mean with that, for example, I think personally that the, most of the agency needs to be, to be a data analytics company. And uh, what I'm tracking uh, every quarter, and my people saw me that uh, the more stress in this area is how much we are improving every quarter, all the KPI about how reliable are the data, how updated are the data, how much the technology can give us more and more predictive analytics. So everything that are building your long-term infrastructure, because sometimes, I mean, there is a good book uh, that is called The Day After Tomorrow. Um, and it's, well. and it's uh, basically the teacher, it is a teacher in the London Business School. And by the way, I followed the exciting course with him about digital disruption uh, with him and uh, he was uh, writing this book about the fact that the CEO needs to look at the day after tomorrow mm. and the people are spending most of the time thinking about today and the nearest tomorrow yeah. uh, but not the day after tomorrow so they say really thinking about how shall be the company in three to five years so all these steps that you are taking today that makes you very successful in three to five years. And unfortunately, most of the time, we don't have time mm. to spend too much time there. And we spend too, too much in the, I mean, one of the client, one of the clients of this very good consultant that is doing also teacher in London Business School is saying, uh, your book is fantastic, but I'm even worse. I'm not spending time for today <laughs> or for tomorrow. Right. I'm, I'm spending my time to cleaning the shit of yesterday. yesterday. <laughs> and, uh, Unfortunately, this is the reality of most of us that needs to, to look at all these elements. But yeah, yeah. so a KPI needs to take into approach also how much you are close to build a long-term infrastructure that makes you uh, differentiating from the others. Yeah. Raphael, I know I only have you for a few more minutes, so let's get into everyone's favorite questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests, so I'm excited to ask you some of these as well. Tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. Uh, okay, from a business point of view, I think it was pretty clear from what I said. <laughs> Which the, one? I don't remember. Uh, no, it's about uh, the going too global, uh, just following the clients. So right. I think that being more focused is, uh, I think, a, a better way to be successful than just following uh, 
And by the way, in my case, it was a client. I suggest my peers also not to follow too much private equity venture capitalists to, to go global if you have not that priority for yourself. They say if you consider it, you need best to stress uh, more your internal capabilities to do something locally. First, become excellent locally and then you export. And this is something I learned and I will never repeat again the mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about some of your favorite books. What books have had the biggest impact on your personal and professional life? Yeah, so first of all, in the last 10 years, I'm spending much less uh, on books because I don't have time, unfortunately. I was using much more uh, to read books when I was traveling across the different offices. uh, But most of my, I mean, I would say the the books that have influenced more me are, of course, coming from the 90s because it was the time in which... um, Basically, I decided to, to move to marketing and B2B marketing specifically. So, are basically done papers with uh, uh, everything around marketing one to one and uh, basically everything about how CRM needs to evolve in a, and uh, brings you this marketing one to one is extremely fascinating. Now it's becoming a reality. At the time, mm-hmm. 95 was more complicated. And the second one was more specific for everything that is digital, but also the IT sector was Nicolas Negro Ponte that was been for a long time the director of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and the Media Lab that he was uh, uh, the head of. And he wrote a lot of nice books uh, about uh, this one, which one is being digital. But in general, he was anticipating all the trends that would have come and makes the world different. And that if someone wants... Uh, at 25 years, you want to make the difference and you read books like this one, okay, probably you will say, I want to do this one instead of selling uh, shampoo or sure, <laughs> or, sure. or, or drinks. So <laughs> it's uh, something that for sure have uh, impacted me in my approach, both to choose the IT sector and then also to evolve in everything that is digital. What do you do for fun when you're not growing Expanded Group? Yeah, so, so of course, outside the COVID period, because I'm right now in quarantine in my sure. home right now. Right. But uh, yeah, I always loved art and um, opera. So uh, like most of the Italians, uh, always certain age, you start to uh, get fascinated by opera. <laughs> and so I go everywhere I can in every place of the world uh, to see the operas. And then uh, what was the last opera that you saw that was really good? It was unfortunately one year ago. <laughs> so, so all, all the typical Italians, so Traviata, I've seen it, Rigoletto, and uh, all the classical uh, uh, operas. And, uh, that a lot of times, uh, w- one of the problems today is that uh, you, you find most of the same titles, regardless if you go to Covent Garden or to La Scala in Milan, you, right. you have uh, 10 of the biggest hits that are always there. So you tend to see often the same. Uh, uh, different operas Interesting. Uh, but but for sure the other things is art I mean art is uh, fantastic by the way I think that art can inspire us also in B2B marketing so I mm-hmm. think that is um, to look at uh, going to exp- uh, exhibition museums and painting sculpture any type of art even cinemas is uh, something that can inspire all of us to be more creative in B2B marketing so it's not only pleasure for me but I think that sometimes I can start thinking about how you can do things differently by adopting uh, artists and uh, different think laterally or think differently really interesting last couple of questions and then I'll, I'll let you go by the way I could I could ask you a million different questions I, we have to get you back on the show because there's so many questions 
that I've got that I've not had a chance to ask. Oh, we play, shall we? Play? What advice would you give to a young person or a millennial who wants to start their world, who wants to start their career in the B2B agency world? Yeah, first of all, it's a good beginning in any case because you learn a lot. I mean, in a, working in a B2B agency, you have uh, um, the possibility to learn a lot regardless of what you want to do afterwards in your life. Uh, of course, you need to decide what are the areas that you are more interested in. I mean, if I need to say the most uh, fascinating ones, but of course it's quite subjective, uh, what can be some, um, more glamour, but for sure a consultant uh, is a, an account management role or a consultant role are quite fascinating and you can see a lot of things from that angle. Of course, everything that is creative is, uh, of course, uh, um, but you need to be creative, of course, depends on your <laughs> uh, characters. And, and then, like I was saying, everything about that data and platform data scientists is uh, an amazing uh, world that is just starting right now. So all these areas are very, very interesting for someone to start. I mean, ourselves, we're recruiting all the time on these areas. Um, data scientists are very difficult to find. <laughs> it's uh, highly demanded by the market. Uh, so I think that they need to do what they like. I mean, I think that the biggest message is that uh, don't try to find a job just because they pay you, but try to find a job uh, in B2B marketing or elsewhere that you really get happy to start your morning with. So we, uh, I think most of the people I know in marketing agencies, they really enjoy and Sometimes it's uh, frustrating in some cases, uh, <laughs> but uh, ultimately we enjoy to do what we are doing. And that's, I think, is the secret to be successful in the long term. And my final question, Raphael, what does it know about the world of B2B marketing today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? <laughs> well, it's uh, a lot of things I would have preferred to know. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that... Um, Clearly, um, B2B marketing in itself is fantastic. The, the only point is that, of course, uh, there is a lot of pressure by clients uh, and you need to know how to manage it. Uh, and this is not uh, something that you need to learn as you go because uh, you have pressure from a budget point of view. You have pressure in terms of results. Um, you meet a lot of people with strong character. I mean, the IT sector is... <laughs> a sector in which you have a lot of leaders. I mean, you just see the, on the TV a lot of uh, people that are extremely rich that, however, showed in the past to have been a big leaders. And also at European level, you see some of them. So it, it's uh, managing expectation about clients is probably the, <laughs> the most painful side of the marketing B2B. And uh, you, you don't know at the beginning and you need to learn how to manage it. And that's sometimes uh, not the most interesting part of the job, but you need to, Unfortunately, like all of us that are managing clients, we need to understand how to do it. And uh, no, it is something that is, unfortunately, nobody can skip it. <laughs> so it's, uh... Great place to end. Raphael, thank you so much for doing this. Now, thanks for inviting me and uh, I would be uh, happy to join the next one. <laughs> thanks very much. Bye. We have been speaking with Raphael Apostolito. He is currently the president and CEO at Expandy Group. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 120 conversations we've had now with world-class leaders in agency growth. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at Nathan at agencydealmasters.com. Please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Nathan Anibaba. We would be 
unable to do this show without our very own Dealmasters. Christoph Blaschek is our project manager. Tyler Bella is our editor. Anita Bacon is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Dealmasters. This episode was brought to you by Account Insight, the B2B programmatic advertising platform for B2B agencies. In this four-part series, I sat down with co-founder and chief product officer, Tony Chamilias, to discuss the business, their history, and how Account Insight helps B2B agencies deliver targeted, tailored ads to high-value companies. In this week's episode, Tony and I discuss the interview that you've just listened to with Rafael Apostolito, the president and CEO at Expandi Group. Tony, where, in your opinion, is media programmatic going? Thanks, Nathan, for the question, because that's really the heart of everything we, we're building today. Media is, and, and programmatic, it's, it's relatively young, but it's gone a long way already. And we already see some of the driving forces that will shape the immediate future. For one, initially, programmatic was built around cookies. And we all know that cookies are disappearing and, and there are strong forces around uh, personal data privacy, uh, the, the new environment where Google is already saying, well, from, from next year, they will remove cookies. So the fundamental blocks of the initial programmatic are, are disappearing. And that's really interesting. And, and, and it's really an area where we can see, well, that's also part of why B2B companies were initially reluctant to jump into this. But there's a second one that also correlates to where we're coming from, which is the high requirements for B2B companies to be around the right, the right brand safety. And initial uh, cookie programmatic was all about targeting the right individual, and the media didn't really matter because we knew it was the right person. But that doesn't work for B2B. So from accounting side, we're basically working on building a solution that's foolproof in the future, if you can say that. So the targeting to start at accounting side is not built from a cookie. It's built from targeting the right company. So that's a different dimension. It will not disappear because it has nothing to do with personal data. Hmm. This, this company dimension will remain. And once you've got the right company in place for the targeting, then you can focus on the right categories of media, which is really crucial for our B2B customers, is being in the right media space, being in the right context. That's where it's really different from B2C. And that's where we see media programmatic is going in the B2B context. It's going the way of targeting the right companies. And within that, then you can have different layers of precision. You can make sure that you are in the right media, you are in the right context, but you're not relying on cookies as they are really disappearing. And again, we see that the US market is very cookie driven, still working today, but there are really strong forces imposed by browsers, removing some of the uh, cookie elements. Google also saying, well, that's not gonna be the future. We've got the California Data Privacy Act. So the forces in the market are moving, targeting into a context where it'll be relevant to target the right companies and it'll be relevant to target in the right context. But we will not be relevant 
if we only trust uh, cookies. Hmm. And secondly, uh, Nathan, from a B2B perspective, we've seen also a big evolution in the channels that we've been using over the last years. I mean, I'm, I'm looking where we came from, maybe 20 years ago, it was all about postal mail and telemarketing and events. Then we had market automation coming in with uh, HubSpot, with Pardot, with uh, MailChimp, Marketo, you name it. Yeah. Sure. And that was a big revolution. All of a sudden, we didn't need to send letters anymore. We could send emails and we could track the clicks. I remember. And then we had SEO coming in. And we could build content that people love. And you know what? People could find the content in Google and we could attract that. And that's all going to stay. But the next big thing really in B2B is programmatic media. Is this ability now to have this super focused approach to driving this content to the right companies, mm. to the right individuals in the right context. That was the missing piece of the puzzle. Because in the, with the traditional tools, well, you needed to have an email. And by the way, now you need the email permission, thanks to privacy. Um, with content, there's an abundance of content. and You can't control who's consuming your content. You still need to make sure from a marketing point of view that you drive the content to the right people to the right companies. So these are the main drivers, really. We see a future with cookies will be less prevalent, and we're building at Accounting Insight solutions that are built on targeting the right companies, and that's really the future. And we also see, in terms of communication, programmatic media part of the solution to address the challenges that traditional tools have with reaching, reaching the people that you don't know or you don't have uh, the right access. So that's a fundamental friction in, in, in B2B communication that we are solving from accounting side. Raphael also says that most of the digital transformation happening now is happening in B2C. There's nothing in B2B that you can easily buy on the internet. So B2B, he says, has not been digitally disrupted. What do you think about that? Um, B2B... We can only agree is is nothing you can buy over the internet easily. Mm. It's a high level of complexity. You've got long decision journeys, and they are not linear. You've got large budgets, and by definition, then you've got plenty of people involved in deciding where to allocate the money, mm. and and that's reflected really also on the length of many of the campaigns. Many of the campaigns we're running are not short-term tactical campaigns. You need to build brand over time. So I think in, in general, what we, we all see is that B2B marketing is an uphill journey. It's not, it's not an easy one. It's not something that you can sell on a click. So you've got, currently we've got COVID eliminating all, all events and, and, and GDPR and privacy making it even more difficult to target people. But if, if we see that the forces that have taken B2B marketing where we are today, at the end of the day, B2B companies will succeed if they are able to manage orchestrated communication across multiple stakeholders who are really risk-averse and prone to defensive decision-making. And, and that's where account-based advertising can help, really. We can help in building consensus 
on a whole B2B buying team. So you're not longer, you're not marketing anymore to one person, you're marketing to companies as, as accounts. We, we know also from research we, uh, that because of the transition to digital communication of content, up to 70% of the decision-making journey is already made by the time you talk to a vendor. Hmm. This last mile still relies and requires uh, many personal touch points. So telemarketing is not disappearing and the sales role of sales and social is stronger than ever. But it's all about building the ability to uh, ring fence a, a large team of people into thinking that you are the right solution. And uh, tr traditional marketing makes too many expensive assumptions. Uh, at, at the end of the day, it's about managing um, trust and being aware that B2B buyers are really extremely risk averse. They're really prone to defensive decision making. And if you're building a strong brand, it's very difficult to succeed with last mile tactics. To find more great content like this and find out more about Account Insight, go to accountinsight.ai. <laughs>